You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Stag Harbor Express, 27East.com and Express Magazine, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. I'm joined today by my co-host, Annette Hinkle, the arts and living editor of the Express News Group, who's filling in today for Joe Shaw, who's enjoying some well-deserved time off. Good morning, Annette. Hey, Bill. How are you? Good. Our guests this week are our regular uh, panelist, Denise Civiletti, editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Beth Young, editor and publisher of the East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Good morning. And Michael Mackey, local host for the Long Island Morning Edition right here on WLIW-FM. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, folks. So let's uh, let's start with uh, with Riverhead, Denise. There's uh, more more shakeup at the in the uh, Riverhead School District this week, right? Apparently, uh, the um, I, I was not exactly expecting this turn of events, but um, the um, superintendent of schools, Augustine Tornatori, who um, came to the district in um, 2021 from um, a school district in uh, uh, Hudson Valley, part of the Hudson region, um, Liberty Schools. He um, He's now on a leave of absence. Um, it sounds like he may not be returning. Um, there's no information about why, um, but there have been some sort of interesting things going on that um, Quick, you know, quickly, quickly on the heels of all the the, the racial controversy stuff. That, that well, yeah, I mean, there's this. There are those incidences that happened. Um, I don't know. I, we don't know what it has to do with, honestly. Yeah. But um, there, you know, well, you know, you guys all know what it's like. You you get bombarded with um, messages and anonymous tips and other people that you you know people who you know their identity talking to you about what's going on behind the scenes over there but they can't talk on the record so it's just like you know you know how that is being a local news editor and so that's been happening quite a bit in the last couple weeks here um and um there apparently uh was an incident on school grounds involving two members of the administrative staff that was uh kind of a dispute um and some uh, physical uh, altercation of sorts and um, came to blows well uh, shoving there was there was a, uh. like some shoving that went on and um the uh one of the one of the people involved in that was um an assistant superintendent who has now been uh reassigned to her home According to the president of the school board, um, we've known that she was kind of not in her office because of something that happened uh, for about a week now. And we've been trying to, you know, you know how it is. People are like, well, why aren't you writing about this? Well, you know, we don't publish rumors, but, you know, we're trying to get some solid information. Um, And, you know, I was able to confirm that. Things that I was being told, the things that I was being told um, actually seem to have happened. I spoke to people 
with knowledge and um i but i still didn't know what to make of it the board never get, you know the board has had yesterday was its third special meeting in you know 10 days uh-huh. and um they never took any action that we know of to uh, about this incident and it was news to us when we heard yesterday late yesterday afternoon that um this super assistant superintendent had been reassigned to her home um they never passed a resolution about that but um another you know well, explain explain that a little bit and what I does that mean we, so we see that with with school districts all the time where i mean contractually they can't necessarily fire somebody right away without some right. kind of hearing or whatever so they just they pay them to to sit at home and and do some kind of administrative work or nothing right well i mean you know what 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 the board president colin palmer said yesterday was uh, she's working from home and she's reassigned to home pending an investigation. Mm-hmm. But he he declined to say an investigation of what. Um, I only have these different rumors and I'm hoping to have something solid that's reportable in another day or so. But right now, no. Um, and the um, nobody would say what like if if this had anything to do with um, Dr. Tornatori's uh, kind of unexpected leave of absence um so there there they yesterday at yesterday's special meeting which by the way was clear like this was called on 25 minutes emailed notice wow yeah and um you know then they went into executive session and you know didn't do anything in public session they no that's not true they passed two resolutions uh regarding this leave of absence and appointing an interim who was uh, they named the uh, another administrator and ex- an executive director of um, secondary education? I, for, I forget his exact title. I have it in the article, but um, they appointed him, uh, Dr. William Galati, as interim superintendent. But I've heard that it will be act. The board will actually be taking further action on an interim. Uh, at the upcoming meeting Tuesday, so we'll see what happens with that. I don't really you know anymore. You wouldn't, think they, I, you wouldn't think they would appoint an interim if if if, if they plan if, on having him come right. back, right? Right. If he was just on like a vacation, I mean, um, Mr. Palmer told us that um, he that uh, Dr. Tornatori had already a planned vacation. Um, and that he was on a leave of absence for several days prior to that now. And, um, you know, things will become clearer um, next week. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't I have surmises, but I don't know what's really going on other than once again, there's like, a you know, swirling controversy in the Riverhead School District. And you just kind of want things to be normal and have the focus be the education of children yeah. um, in a school district. But that doesn't seem to happen. Well, we, we and I understand it's a personnel matter, but we we talked a little bit about it on last week's show when Alec was was on, um, you know, with with the racial incidents. And it, it just um, it, it seems like and again, I understand that, you know, you're, you're dealing with personnel, but it seems like the district has been less than than forthcoming in in recent weeks with um you know with what's going on in the district and and how the the school board and administration is is handling some of these 
these controversies and, you know, and you wish they would be a little more um, vocal about what's going well, on. I mean, you know, Bill, you're being generous, I think, because I, I would say that this, this district and particularly uh, under uh, Tori Tori uh, and as well as his predecessor, um, Dr. Enriquez, uh, the district has been less than forthcoming about just about everything. Yeah. I mean, uh, we got, you know, I think he was like angry, but with something that we reported, I don't know. But, you know, for a time, the only thing we would get out of Dr. Tornatori was you have to talk to our PR agency. <laughs> like what? Um, so, you know, it's been that kind of environment there for a, a while now. And um, it's really unfortunate because, you know, you, when you want to you want to report a story, you want to find out particularly about different programs and finances and think anything like that, like, you know, newsworthy items, you, you know, you need to ask people questions. And when you get answers from some other, we've talked about this in the past from someone else sent by email, attributing a statement to the administrator. And it's obviously very well designed to be, um, to, excuse me, to be, um, uh, you know, massaged and, and right. sort of evasive of the question, um, it's it gets it really gets annoying. I mean, you know, so that's what we deal with with the school I, district now well, regularly. And I, and I think that's a trend that that we've seen with the with yeah. a lot of the school districts, um, you know, over the last few years, um, is is pushing to to the PR agencies. And I I don't know. I mean, I'm a I'm a a, a, a taxpayer in, in, in that school district. Mm -hmm. And if I was a taxpayer in other school districts, I think it, you know, makes me a little angry that, um, that, that they're, you know, that they're, that they're not vocal about what's, about what's going on. There's, there's this perceived, you oh. know, shroud of, of secrecy about, you know, how, how things are happening. And, um, I mean, I, I feel that, you know, they have a responsibility to provide, you know, information, accurate information, complete information to the public, to the families in the district, the parents of children, the taxpayers in the district who, you know, pay the taxes that keep it going. Like they've got a responsibility to those to those folks, to all of us. And, you know, by by not, you know, being willing to provide information or answer questions, um, they're sh I, I believe they're shirking their responsibility. I mean, that's part of their job and uh, you know it's unfortunate this is what we deal with right Beth? Yeah, and and this kind of behavior really i mean this district needs so much at, from the community and it needs the community's support in order to keep i mean the, the, they, they there's so much that the facilities need just to be able to educate students in and in a safe manner that they they can't get the support of the community when they're being this evasive and um it's a horrible vicious cycle i mean so do we think this is something that's typical among school boards? It just seems like time and time again, we're coming up against battles where we're trying to get information about school school things like this in particular. And I mean, maybe you could speak a little bit to that because you um, have seen that with um, with our own paper dealing with the Southampton district. And, um, and you know, you, I don't know. I just feel like this is a, a an ongoing thing where there's well, always this. So many school board members don't seem to 
you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of work. It's an unpaid position, and the tra- that the, they need to take the training to heart in terms of commu- you know working with the community. And I don't know that people go into this really prepared mm-hmm. for what they need. The administrators to do. on the level that it really is. I mean, the school budgets are much bigger than the town budgets. Yeah, and, right. and, and, and again, these people you know, are not paid, and they're overseeing it all. And they're not really beholden, you know, even when something legally or, you know, involving um, the cops or, you know, the, the schools sort of are the, a little organization unto themselves. And, and they seem to be able to get around a lot of other um, issues and zoning and things like that, that um, the rest of a village or town sort of has to abide by. Okay. Uh, Denise, in Riverhead Central School District, is the issue with the school administrators or with the school board? as far as communication? Well, um, I, I would say that's kind of gone back and forth a little bit. Um, the There was a time when school board members would not, and I'm going back years now, really wouldn't talk to the press at all. Um, and even I would say, in a lot of cases, really wouldn't interact with the public. People would come to the school board meetings and ask questions from the podium, and they just straight up, like, None of the board members said anything. The president of the board would say, you know, I mean, they would just sit there and listen and not respond. And it got people very angry. Um, And then, you know, one of the people who was regularly at the podium giving the school board a hard time about that um, got elected to the school board. And, um, you know, in my opinion, kind of turned into that same, you know, model (laughs) of person. It was like, what? Are you like yeah. I once said to her, like, 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 you know, you're drinking the Kool-Aid? Like, what flavor yeah. is it? I don't understand. You know, so that's been kind of a thing back and forth. Some, you know, some school board members of late have been much more forthcoming and at least willing to engage in a conversation with the press and the public. And that's a big I mean, it shouldn't be such a big deal, but that's a big improvement. Um, the district as a whole, I think, has just gotten to this point where, you know, they're 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 talking through lawyers and PR people, which I just find personally offensive, you know? Um, and I have to say, you know, we used to have a, a person on the district staff whose responsibility was public information and provide, you know, providing information about what's going on in the district, not so much, you know, political issues and financial issues, but just the, um, you know, events and activities in the district. And, um, you know, it was great. She let us know when things were coming up in advance so that we could cover them if we had the time and resources to do that. Um, If we were not able to, she would provide, you know, photos and information and even like write stories. And she retired and moved away. But boy, I really miss her because we don't get anything like that anymore. I, you know, we're Facebook friends, and I often message her saying, can we entice you to please come back, Sandy? <laughs> this was Sandy Cobo. She was good at her job. Um, and then, you know, because of this whole dynamic and the lack of information about those events and things like that, you know, we end up as reporters and editors end up getting like, you know, yelled at by the community. Like, you only we got, we went through this when we reported about the swastikas, etch, you know, written on desks last week um you know the the mob on facebook was just yeah. like all over us about you know 
why do you always report the negatives and you shouldn't, this isn't even news, that kind of stuff, you know? Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, I stand by our decision to report that. I disagree wholeheartedly. It is news, but, um, you well, know, it's something the community needs to know about if that, you know, well, not, yeah, not, not but, that it happened, but, but the community deserves to know what, what the administration and what the school board is doing about situations like that. And, you know, Absolutely. I, I, I don't, you know, uh, I didn't go, I don't even, you know, I don't even answer that kind of criticism. It's like, well, I, you know, get your news someplace else then. I don't know. What can I tell you? But, you know, as far as these different like community type events, we cover what we know about and we write up, you know, stories what we know about. Well, We're the stories you're reporting events. about Riverhead yeah. aren't just being reported by Riverhead locals. So it's, it's right. not like you're singularly going after them. Sometimes they are. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> but uh, but I'm saying, like, you know, we, we love covering community events and going to things and doing that. I mean, I'm, I've been a judge in the homecoming parade since I can't remember when I cover that. All, you know, we cover all these things. We need to, I mean, something like that. Obviously, you need you know what's happening. But, like, there's a lot of things going on that make great stories that if we don't have a teacher, a teacher that from a, you know, from a classroom, reach out to us and say, hey, I'm doing this. You know, are you interested in this? We wouldn't know about, right. you know, and that's a shame. You know? I, I think, you know, the districts that we deal with that are that are dealing with the PR agencies and look, they're paid to do a job and they do send out. You know, they'll send out a, a release with a photo or or whatever this happened or that happened. But then if you go back to them and you want more information, you want to do a, a more featurey story, um, it, it just gets it. it just yeah. gets blocked. I mean, it's like, well, we would need to, you know, talk to administrators and we would this and we would that. And then, and then by the time you know right. it's done, you've yeah. got you've got nothing left. And it seems um, almost a, uh, they've got a job to do, I guess, but it seems almost obstructionist that at some point that, you know, that they want to control that flow of information and don't want to understand what a reporter needs to do to actually report a story. Isn't some of it financial, though? Also, they eliminate the position. It's uh, less uh, expensive to outsource public relations and that type of communication to an outside agency than it is to pay the, an individual a, a Sure. A wage. But, but if they're concerned about making sure that the public knows the great things that are going on in our school classrooms and what they're doing for the kids, like, isn't that money well spent? You know, when mm. th something happens. That's the like, argument. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when when like I'm thinking of I'm, I'm not going to remember the date, but I'm thinking of, you know, Pulaski. I think it was Pulaski Street School had, you know, something for September 11th or, you know, it was like honoring the memory of September 11th. And we got. A, a little blurb. This is what it comes down to. You get a little blurb with a photo that's generally speaking, not something, you know, that it's not a great picture. <laughs> and and you get it 10 days later, you know, mm -hmm. and right. it's like, well, you know, that's not how the news works, especially not today. I mean, you know, but what good is that? Like, mm -hmm. I think that's a waste of money. So if they want to, you know, if they want to post things like that on their own website, and they think that's a, a good investment for them, fine. But but don't then turn around and say, you know, complain that we don't post that kind of thing regularly. I also you know. wonder how, you know, the PR companies, like how how near to us are they? I mean, are they 
you know, if they're if they're 80 miles away, how much do they really know yeah. about the community? Yeah, I don't well, I mean yeah, they get what the district yeah. sends them. Right. They get yeah. what the district sends them. So so and you, you, and you can't ask them a question because, you know, I mean, they, yeah, they it takes they, a week and a half to get an answer. Right. Well, <laughs> and, you know, and, and they're sent a, a photo by the district or they take a, a photo for the district and send it out. But they don't have any detailed further information if you call them back and say, you know, we need a little more on this, like like a teacher's first name, you, you know, and they yeah. can't right. ask questions. Well, so I think the public relations firm that does most of them is in Farmingville and does a lot of school districts throughout long island it's right they're, yeah they're not like yeah. actually even taking the pictures themselves right yeah right. and i can't tell i mean also i have to say we've we've sat down two or three times with tornatory seeking to change this like you know let us know and like have your pr firm let us know in advance what's coming yeah. up that might make you know that's all i need to do um Sat down numerous times with Dr. Enriquez. I mean, the last time we got that kind of information was when they had this person, Sandra Colbo, um, and and uh, the superintendent was Nancy Carney. Like, we had a consistent flow of information about what was going on proactively, and we were able to cover it and, you know, let people know what was going on in our schools. And I mean, that should be, the, I mean, that's a, that should be their objective, but. I don't know. Well, yeah. it should be. You would you would think they yeah. want more of that information out, but again, it, it just seems. But there's just distrust. They don't mm -hmm. trust the the press to present things in a way that is the most flattering to them. Because it's, right. I mean, the PR firm, like they're not really representing. I don't think, and you know, I'm not. I don't mean to bash them, but like the district wants them wants their PR firm to make the district officials look good. Yeah. I think that's really all it's about. It's not Absolutely. even about, you know, the school. Do we get a lot of, um, do we find there's a lot of turnover in superintendents and that it's almost like a revolving door where we have them coming in and out so quickly that they they are kind of mistrustful of the press and, the, and they don't know a lot about the community. So they may have come from a district where the press was somebody to be avoided because of, you know, digging or whatever. I just I just feel like we've seen so many new names coming through in school superintendents that you don't really have time to get to know them before the next one comes in. And, um, you know, you know, what I mean, it's yeah. not like. It yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's been you. happening. Yeah, so I, I don't know about other places. Certainly in Riverhead, it's been happening a lot. I mean, South Hole and Greenport had a guy who, um, David, what's his last name with the G? He was, I thought he was great. Was it right? I mean, um, he, yes. He, yeah. Gamberg, David Gamberg. Gamberg, yeah. He was wonderful. Yeah. And and he was there a long time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it yeah. seems like I those think... days are over. It seems like the right. superintendents are constantly like climbing a ladder to get I feel like the next that's better a, job. I feel like that's a lot of the mistrust is that you just have, right. you know, at the top job, you have somebody that doesn't really know the community, certainly doesn't know us, um, you know, doesn't remember our children going through the system. And, you know, yeah. it's just like. Yeah. Just so they re rely on, on, on policy or they re rely on on bad advice, maybe from the PR agencies. I think you're right in that. I mean, we we deal with a lot of school districts, but. You know, places like Hampton Bays, where you have Lars Clemenson, who's been a longtime mm -hmm. superintendent and a, and a good friend of the paper and, and certainly understands, you know, what we want to do and how we want to shine a light on on the good, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly in, in the school district. And he gets that. 
And so he's always, you know, he reaches out to us. And if we reach out to him, then 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 he's responsive. And there's certainly other other superintendents that have been around a while. But I think you're right. When when you get that turnover, um, you know, then there's a mistrust there and, you know, and they're relying on that. Uh, I, I, on, on the topic of trust, I just want to I want to say one more thing about that. It's not even trust necessarily of the press, but like when it comes to the trust, when we learn that this superintendent on his as he came into office here, hired a security firm to sweep the central office for listening devices. Oh, I remember that. Uh, that to me told me all I needed to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right there. I just got, uh, you know. Who did, they, who did they think was listening? I have yes. no. Well, of it course. The press, Bill. <laughs> of course. It definitely no, didn't. Because we, no, yeah, we keep printing right. those big exposés on. <laughs> there were no, I, I, I certainly don't think he thought it was us. I have no idea. But then here's the thing, you know, that those questions did not get any answers. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know. Yeah. Right. So, but so, yeah, where's I mean, the, like, where's that mindset coming from? Exactly. You know? And that's the, that's the message that first gets out to, you know, the yeah, whole well, trust thing. And, and, when we and found what great, that, it was like. What, what great examples that all sets for, um, for the yeah. district, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. And this is this is and this is before you get into like natural national controversies over things like banned (laughs) books and all those sorts of things, which luckily we don't deal with too much out here. But yeah, what extent? Um, This is this is behind the headlines um, on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. I'm joined by my co-host Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey from right here on WLIWFM. Let's talk about banned books. We did a we did a story this week um, um, talking to uh, to the different librarians um, uh, in in our coverage area, and and it is banned book week. And I'm trying to uh, this this week, I, I guess, which is a, a annual event where you know where different librarians um get together and and just um promote what what they term the the freedom uh to to read um and a lot of the libraries have displays this week um um highlighting books that have been banned in, in other areas and um um you know and 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 all that and it really it hits close to home because i, I mean I, I think that you know we learn from from what we read and you know and there's been movements um particularly the last couple of years to you know to ban more and more books in in different areas um different areas of of the country and and uh what a what a danger that is mm-hmm. yeah it seems like schools are where a lot of it started you know the right. school boards that got in and and i guess a lot of the lgbtq plus literature is the first to go right mm-hmm. um, but it feels like it's also spreading to public libraries. You know, now you've got public librarians dealing around other parts of the country. Um, I won't say what states, but I think you could probably guess where that's probably a much bigger issue. Um, <clears throat> but even the public libraries are now, I think librarians are facing pressure to get certain material off the shelves. Um, and, and, are, and are getting fired if they don't. <clears throat> yeah, or yeah, worse, you know, maybe part. losing their funding, you know. Right. Um, that's the thing is when you have people controlling the purse strings that that think that they should 
tell you what isn't isn't on your shelves is kind of terrifying. Right? Well, and people with their own <laughs> certain political agenda, you know, like if it doesn't conform to this political point of view, we don't want the. I'm sorry, we don't want children, you know, reading it. I mean. Well, and 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 you know, and that's a fine decision to make for your own kid. If you've got, yeah. if you have children, and and there are certain topics that you don't want them them reading about, then then fine, make that decision. Whether I disagree or not, um, you can you can make that decision. But I've just never understood that that mindset that I'm going to make the decision for all the kids and and for your kids and you know and and all that. That's the scary part. Like I say, I mean, we were all kids once. It's like, well, how do you get someone to read a book? You tell them they're not allowed to. So that's that's one way to really, really get those kids curious about those titles (laughs) behind that. That, you know, we all saw Harry Potter and the restricted section. Where else would you want to go? Right. (laughs) Harry Potter was restricted. There was a restricted section where they had to go and find the book that they weren't supposed to have. So, of course, you know. Uh Where's that? It was the yeah. one about the um, the Sorcerer's Stone. You'll have to see. Oh, but but in, was that in East Hampton? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the basement. Behind the, oh, okay. tape, behind the yellow tape. Oh, okay. That sounds fun. <laughs> I want to hang out in the East Hampton Library on Halloween. I, yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> True. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, people, people in, that I know have come to me and said, did you hear, I've heard somewhere that there's these pornographic books that are in this place. And I go and try and find out where they're getting their information from. And the place they're getting their information from doesn't even say the name of the book. So you have to go right. find out what the book is. And then you look at the book and you're amazed that they're spinning it as being mm something pornographic when it's about somebody searching for their identity you know right and that's really what a lot of it boils down to is a lot of these are stories about you know young people who are trying to figure out who they are and i don't know about your kid beth but i could not get my daughter to go to the library for anything you know it's like seriously go find a book that really intrigues you you know someone at the at the riverhead library teen section decided to start a magic card club and I couldn't get him out of the library, no oh, matter how good. hard I tried. Dinner <laughs> okay. wouldn't get him out. But you know what I mean? These kids he, are not he clamoring. Lived there. I, it was it was amazing. God bless the Riverhead Library. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. there are there are kids in that who, who have no other resource or no other way to be able to explore their identity or explore issues that, that they're feeling. And, and that's why these books are are so important so that so that if these kids have no other resources they can go into a library um privately if if they need to at first to kind of explore what's what's going on and you know and and kind of um you know make some make some decisions and and choices and stuff and when you take that away from them then you just lead to um um Well, that's exactly the point. Right. Yeah, and that's, it's especially that's exactly the point. You know? It's especially important in in rural areas where they might not have any sort of social social structure that's in place that helps them, you know, find people who they can talk with about these things. I mean, that's probably where the bans are happening the most too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's the unfortunate part is is in in areas where it's not happening. You know, it it it's needed most in areas probably where where they're being banned. Mm-hmm. I know it's not even not to minimize those topics at all, but 
it's not limited to topics of individual identity either. Right. I mean, right. books that are being banned often ha- often have to do with issues of race right. and freedom and democracy. I mean, history, history, history. Right. you know, um, we should be looking at, you know, how textbooks are being rewritten. <laughs> you know, that's always a big thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, we've had. We well, and, and, can, and cancel culture too. You know, yeah. I mean, there's there's a negative element to that. I mean, I, it, it's it's you know we've had this conversation. It's it's good to point out you know um, histo- historical elements that that we wouldn't agree with today. But when you when you try to get rid of you know all you know references to those you know historical elements, it's slavery and. Um, you know, and 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 race and and all that. I think that becomes very dangerous too. Absolutely. I mean, that, you know, that goes to the heart of the whole critical race theory, so-called critical race theory hysteria that has you know been kicking around. And it, this isn't. I mean, while most of the book bans, um, you know, are in places like Florida, Texas, Missouri, Utah. I'm looking at Pen America's website, right? So, but there are there are like. Things that are even like around here that are maybe a little less, you know, more like under the radar, but have kind of a similar um, result. I mean, the anti-bias task force in Riverhead, and we all know what, well, maybe we don't all know, but we've talked to here about what's been going on there. Um, they have this thing where they they get a, they were getting a $3,000 budget from the town to operate, and they spent some of that money in the last several years purchasing books for school libraries that the librarians requested. Mm. And this year, um, they su- submitted, I guess this wasn't new, but they submitted the list of books that the librarians requested after going through their own process of whatever they have to do to you know, put a book on a shelf in a library. Um, and the, this list of books was submitted to the town board for approval um you know to get the money to buy them in january according to the person who headed up this committee who was removed by the way from the anti-bias task force um but they still didn't get approval Mm. and councilman rothwell told us that or he said in a public meeting sorry that um they were waiting for the town attorney's office to sign off on them as that they were appropriate now, these were books selected by libra- school librarians, reviewed by the committee person on the anti-bias task force, who is herself a school librarian, okay, not in Riverhead, but I think sure on Waiting River. Um, and, you know, what does that mean? What kind of, you know, the town attorney said that that's not what they were reviewing them for at all. He didn't say what they were reviewing them for, but... Um, probably if you know if i had to guess whether masks were good or something but but like you know are is that the society we want to be really like where the government is going to control what teachers are allowed to you know teach and what books they're allowed to use a government besides the school district government like it's I not, don't not think... even the government it's the attorneys yeah. i mean which yeah. is yeah that's even scarier no, no funding for the anti-bias task force is provided by the town of Riverhead. So mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to me so crazy for them to want to review any purchase of any item. Well, they have to allocate books. the funding, yeah. Yeah. But, 
I mean, it's October, and this was submitted in January. So, like, what's going on here? Like, that's very inefficient at best. Well, yeah, you're being (laughs) very nice there, Michael. (laughs) I want to go. I'm going to read a band book this weekend. I I think we all should. We should all go to the library, look for the um, the displays of the band books. Everybody should pick one and 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 read it to a kid. (laughs) Okay. Let's uh, let's take a, a hard break turn. I, kn- I know that this was a story that interested uh, Michael um, a, a bit. So it seems like um, the a Sandland, which is a, a, a sand mine in in Noyak, um, is still operating um, even even after um, a state supreme court decisions uh, last year that. That that said that the the sand mine should be shut down. That um, the a new permit that was granted by the state DEC um, shouldn't have been granted, and and that Sandland has expired its its previous permit. <clears throat> this has been an ongoing battle for as long as I think I've been a reporter over over this this sand mine, and and it it just it it, it feels like Groundhog's Day is every time. Somebody comes out and and says, um, you know, the sand mine should be closed. Um, the DEC um, turns around the state uh, um, and just keeps letting it letting it operate. Um, so this week, the um, um, Assemblyman Fred Thiel and some other legislators sent a sent a note to uh, Gav- Governor Kathy Hochul urging her to. Uh, compel the DEC to shut down the mine, um, but it just um, they just they just keep digging, huh, Michael? When I saw the headline, a Sandland mine in Noyak still digging away despite court orders, I I thought I was reading an old story. I had to double check that it was <laughs> it was your it was your paper this week. It it uh, I don't know if if the state can't stop you uh, with an injunction and a, and a court order, and the town can't. Uh, where's the rule of law? What are we? What is this a, a microcosm of something greater going on? That rule of law only ex- exists as long as the the people it serves are, after some point in time, obeying that that law. The other the good point that was made in in your in your story this week is. Uh, Thiel said more than 1,200 tractor trailers of sand that should be serving as the filter for our precious drinking water has been removed since the state court of appeals decision. In other words, this isn't just about a big hole. This is about potentially compromising our drinking water. And there are few uh, factors in life more important than clean water. But how do you get uh, an organization to stop uh, doing something they've been told they're not allowed to do that it's that it's illegal. I mean, do they have to send in the state uh, the police and uh, the national guard to to make them stop? What is? Why are they still digging? And why do they think it's okay to to keep doing so? I have I have a I have a response to that. The <laughs> DEC, the state DEC, Department of Environmental Conservation, loves sand mines. They need sand to make, I mean, not the DEC doesn't make concrete, but like sand is necessary to make cement and concrete. And Long Island is kind of like one of the best sources for sand in New York state. And 
that's why we've got all kinds of sand mines here, despite the fact that um, the and many of which are permitted by the DEC and were permitted like this by the DEC after the towns, you know, locally banned them. We have a number of those in Riverhead, and you know that it doesn't matter. This town of Riverhead is in court right now with the DEC over it's handling the you know the review of an application to expand an existing sand mine in Calverton, in which and you're going to love this, Michael. They gave this sand mine a permit to go down into the groundwater, you know, into yeah. actually into the groundwater. That's their permit for like 90 feet or something like that. And, you know, this is in um, a, a, a location that is in uh, what's called hydrogeologic zone three. It's supposed to be a water conservation, you know, like this is like prime water water table groundwater it's also which is really unfortunate for the water table adjacent to the old town dump okay which um didn't belong in that hydrogeologic zone for sure but it was established before anybody knew what that zone was and the, the going into the water table like that right adjacent to the landfill um has the uh, ability to kind of draw out, don't ask me about the science of this, but to draw out the contaminated water beneath that beneath the, the landfill, right? And and suck it out and move it along into the water table. It's like the stupidest place that you can be doing this. And yeah. Riverhead Town hired the same attorneys that, you know, were on the sand, uh, sand land case. And, um, the DEC just like they're they're handling the environmental review of this expansion permit violated the law. They 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 you know they violated the idea the, the prohibition against allowing something like this when a town has already you know taken action to um, ban this and they just don't they don't really care. So it's not even just a, it's not like just the operator is acting like it's above the law and, you know, it's going to just keep doing it and you got to send the state police. The state doesn't want to be sending the state police. The state, this is serving some interest of somebody in the state. We've seen that over and over again. So, well, there must be an overwhelmingly amount of, of, of revenue being generated by the sand. And if it leads to the construction of concrete and the, we know how concrete it's being used, <laughs> it, are, are there... Are there other places in the state of New York where it's safer and it not doesn't compromise uh, water quality to have these mines? I, I and how and not. how dangerous is it on Long Island? Really, what you're describing to me sounds too close Crazy, for comfort. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounds and, insane. Yeah. And many people at the group for the East End have told me over the years there are a few things that the population agrees on overwhelmingly. But one is if any everybody agrees, Republican, uh, Democrat, conservative, liberal quality of our, our water supply and our access to it, like everybody agrees, that's really, really, really important. And don't do Fair anything enough. to compromise it. But is that changing too, along with so many other things in our in our world? I like to think not, but who knows? <laughs> well, there, um, there certainly hasn't been a lot of public outcry about Sandland. Um, right. It's not know. like there are people protesting there and lying in front of the tractors or anything. 
Right. If it's if if, well, if and, but if it's if it's that potentially dangerous to to our supply of water, wow. Well, I, I think don't they know. Have, they have to go, they have to make it more. They have to make it clear. I think to the people that look, this is an environmental danger that's not distant. That it's that it's really important. It's compromising a potentially our water supply and our access to it. And and in order for this to work, and, and come up with more science to to back up that that argument, I think yeah. because I mean, as you just pointed out, Bill. There's, there's not a public outcry against the world going on with with what we're doing every day, assuming the water that we pour out of a, the faucet and take showers with and drink is going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, that particular spot is at the top of the groundwater divide. It's a high spot. The water goes on both sides. So it's like this is where all the water literally it comes from up here on the Marine in Noyak, and it's going down to everywhere else. So it has a potential to... to that, that I mean, it's not just saying it's on top of the groundwater like everything else is. This is a particularly sensitive spot that uh, I don't know how you communicate that to the public. Well, you communicated well, it very well just then, Beth. We need more Beth Youngs out there, people in yeah. power and influence telling us, look, this is a real problem. If it is yeah. a real problem, then explain why. Of course, the the uh, the, the the real problem also is if government. Uh, puts forth uh, injunctions and, and 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 laws that can cavalierly be disobeyed. What's next? You know that's why. This, but that, I mean that's the frustrating want... part, Michael. Is is I mean you 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 mentioned it. You thought you were reading an old headline, right? We've written this story over and over and and over and over again, and and nothing you know seems to happen and. Um, I, I will say that, you know, efforts to to reach representatives Sandland this week, I mean, they didn't call us back, but they, they don't need to because, I mean, every time, you know, somebody tries to shut them down, nothing happens. They keep operating and 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 nobody stops them. So, I mean, it's it's why why would you stop if if you if you know that that there's going to be no real enforcement of of these, you know, court decisions? Um I, I I do hope that um, you know that 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 the governor can you know can put some pressure on the DEC, but it sounds as Denise pointed it out, it certainly sounds like the DEC has a Go policy on. to to keep these mines going and you know at, at, at whatever cost, and and unfortunately the cost is the environment. And it's such a it's such an extremely lucrative business. Don't forget. Yeah, I can tell that extremely lucrative. lucrative. Um, part part of the construction industry out here that um, that just seems to fuel everything. So, and I, you know, I, I don't want to go down the the rabbit hole of doom, but it's like it's an extremely <laughs> lucrative business, and you know, the people that um, benefit and profit from it, uh, you know, they've got their hooks into the the decision makers one way or the other. Like that's. Wow. Just the unfortunate reality, I think, in our system of, of government and politics. It's you know the, the one thing on Long, one thing on Long Island, we've always taken for granted access to clean water. We don't live right. in Arizona or the Southwest mm -hmm. where there's the this the World War Three is gonna take some place or in the Middle East. We we take water for granted. It, I don't want to have anything going on that could possibly compromise mm -hmm. that. And I don't think anybody else does either. If it's if it's so, 
it's, so, it's, it's a peculiar situation, right? But right, not so right. peculiar in, in the sense that that we've got lots of uh, we've got lots of situations now in the world where the, the where the rule of law is being disregarded. We have people that buy houses out here. And they factor in an extra half a million dollars or a million dollars for litigation, knowing that whatever they build is going to be contested by the local municipality. But they can out-litigate the local municipality. But they should be able to out-litigate and spend against the state of New York. Yeah. Deep, deep, deep pockets somewhere. The, the rabbit hole of doom, Denise. I, uh, that sounds like a new <laughs> podcast we should start. <laughs> I think we need um, T-shirts that we have to. T-shirts and bumper stickers. You sound like a New York Giants fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just I, I changed my, um, you know, my screensaver. You know, I can put a message on it. I used to say Denise Civiletti's MacBook. You know, now it says we are doomed. Uh. <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the mood I've been in lately. That's how I've been feeling lately. You know, just covering what we cover here in the happy little world of Riverhead Land. But anyway. Yeah. There must be something nice me. going on at Pulaski <laughs> Street School or something, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> well, Riverhead uh, Riverhead Community Awareness Program is seeking volunteers. If you're out there listening and you're in or near Riverhead, they need volunteers for their program at Pulaski Street. It's a substance abuse prevention program. only takes a few hours a month. And um, it's a really good program. So, and you get yeah. to march in a really fun kind of parade in June around downtown. So. Nice. There you go. <laughs> You're listening to Behind the Headlines. Um, I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group, joined by my co-host Annette Hinkle um, from the Express News Group, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey from right here on WLIW-FM. Um, so, uh, uh, Beth, we had some, some good news for, uh, for Montauk this week, the decades oh. and decades old, um, Fire Island Montauk Point, uh, uh, project is, uh, is beginning, right? It, this is good sand news, I guess. Hey! <laughs> as long as it doesn't get washed away, um, in the next storm, uh, um, Yes, the uh, well, the, the Fire Island to Montauk Point project, which has been in the planning phases since before we were all born, I believe. Well, um, speak for yourself, not me. Uh, I don't know. Oh, oh. It does go back. Got to start some controversy. I'm sorry. Um, um, so, um, so yes, uh, Montauk. Uh, after Superstorm Sandy, there was a lot of controversy out in Montauk because. Um, they uh, were going to re they replenish the uh, beach uh, that kind of protects the whole downtown Montauk uh, business district using these big, uh, they call them geotubes. They're basically like giant geotextile sandbags that they covered with sand. Um, and at the time, a lot of people in Montauk said, you know, this is a shoreline hardening structure disguised as bags full of sand. Mm. Um, so that was very controversial at the time. They really pushed for a sand only solution. Um, so this uh, it's 450,000 cubic yards of sand is supposed to be coming this winter um, and be replenished to that same level every four years. Now, the caveat with that is this initial project that's happening this winter, which is long awaited and much needed, um, is going to be um, at all federal expense, but the replenishments after that is in an agreement that's um, 
between the the Army Corps, the state, and local municipalities pursuant to a future agreement, which you uh-huh. know, I don't know. Obviously, they haven't come up with the terms of this yet, and um, it's a very expensive endeavor, mm-hmm. and it's only going to continue for the next third 30 years. And this is something that we're hearing with Army Corps projects in terms of sand replenishment um, all over is that really they're only thinking 30 years out. And what happens beyond 30 years is um, very much unknown in terms of what our coastlines are going to look like at that point and whether any of this will be enough. Um, And uh, we'll see for the moment. We'll get the sand this winter and hope that it stays there. And uh, I mean, a lot to get this. We, we've certainly been looking forward to it for a long time, but at this point, uh, is it just going to be a, a Band-Aid bath? I mean, you know, and we, we've, there have been a lot of discussions about, you know, pushing the pushing businesses, especially in Montauk, um, you know, back back from the shore. I mean, it, it, there's still going to have to be conversations about about that. This isn't going to f- fix the problem forever, right? Right, and a lot of those conversations evolve sort of like. <laughs> Bless you. Transferring the uh, transferring the uh, the development rights away from the shoreline, Um, and this is sort of a process that uh, buys time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but getting you know getting people to move big hotels that uh, are dependent on the fact that they're on the ocean is kind of has been a non-starter historically, and I don't know if who's ready to have that conversation at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but at least the um, at least this is moving forward after after thirty years of planning, and I guess when you're dealing with the federal government, that's uh, that's probably on par. So, um, um, if it if it takes another thirty years to figure out the final plan, hopefully everything will be uh, will be around in you know in another another thirty years. But I think I think Montauk certainly East Hampton is very excited to see the. The project uh, moving forward. Yeah. We are uh, we are out of time. Um, uh, I want to. This has been behind the headlines. Um, I want to thank my co-host Annette Hinkle. Thank you, uh, Annette, for uh, for filling in for Joe this week. And no um, great panelists uh, uh, Denise Cibaletti from Riverhead Local, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey from right here on WLIWFM. Uh, great show, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.